Hey, Boulevard Church, this is Pastor Wes here. Um, I'm glad to see you guys. I'm really glad you guys are here today. Um, I, I want to say that um, there's a lot going on in culture. There's a lot going on in society right now. There's a lot of things, and I think, um, I think it might be possibly kind of difficult for us as Christians to navigate these things. What should I be saying? What shouldn't I be saying? How, how should I handle this? What's Jesus' perspective on these things? Uh, I, I think... Um, these times being what they are and the conversations being what they are and it just seems like the country is so divided and people's opinions are so polarizing and people are so accusatory of each other and still being so unwilling to listen um we are in the middle of a series we decided we're going to stop this entire year we are going to focus on the three pillars of our church. I don't just believe these are the three pillars of our church. I think that these are the three pillars of the Bible. I think these are the three pillars of the life of a Christian. I think these are the three pillars of how you should structure even your homes. Um, I really do believe that. And pillar one is your personal relationship with God. How are you and God doing, right? How, how is your relationship with him? How's your prayer life? How Are you aware of his presence? And are you hungry and thirsty for it? And are you appreciative of it? And do you know that God is with you, that God loves you, and that he actually wants a radical, white-hot love affair with you? Uh, but thing two is our relationship with our, our local church, uh, that Jesus Christ died and out of his side, um, when he bled and died, his church was born. Um, and that's us. And Jesus didn't just die so we would be a part of a church out in the ethos. He died so that we would actually, the word for church you often see means assembly. He died so that people filled with the Spirit of God would come and assemble together. And so we've been talking about this for the last few weeks and we have a few more weeks to go. And last week, Eric Willis did an amazing, amazing job talking. I, I think actually as far as our series has gone so far on having a heart for the house, I think that was the best message of the series so far. It really convicted me. It really gave me a lot to think on. Um, I love the, the presentation of it all and I actually want to bounce off of his message as we go forward in today. And our last and third thing is evangelism. Now, we're not starting evangelism until the last four months of this year, uh, but I will be referencing it today um, just because um, with everything going on, I, we'd be remiss if we don't stop long enough and say, what is the Christian's responsibility in this time? And so for the next hopefully 30 minutes, but knowing me, not. Love you guys. Um, thanks for sticking with me. Uh, I'm going to... we're. We're continuing our second pillar, Heart for the House, but the name of today's message is just called Navigating the Times. How is not just the church, but how is Boulevard Church going to navigate these times being what they are? Um, we have tried very hard as a church to understand what people are going through, to not write off their experiences, but also obey the Bible, which tells us to obey the land. How can we be peaceful and love on people that feel oppressed and looked over and beat down, but while also respecting the authority that God gave us? I think these are genuine conversations we have to have. And I want to say a few things before I even start this message. Um, thing one, um, please, at any point, if you disagree with the things that I'm saying, please listen to the entire message. Um, I, I've been in rooms with people I've, every time I've had these kind of conversations, and what I find is as people begin to hear what they don't want to hear, as the message begins to challenge us in ways we don't want to be challenged, we tend to tune out or look away. Uh, but we are the church, we are Boulevard Church, and we can't shy away from our responsibilities as Christians, even if it means we have to put down who we are to pick up who he is. Um, 
And actually, it's a requirement of our gospel. And so please stick with me through this message. Right after this message, we're jumping into the Q&A where I will talk with you guys. Um, I will hear out everything you have to say and discuss with you. Sure, this little thing's pulling on me. I don't want it to uh, get all choppy for for you guys. Um, But thing number two, keep in mind that um, I'm not a politician. I don't play politics. I have opinions on politics. I have an opinion on laws, and I have an opinion on every president we've ever had, and I have an opinion on um, what I think we should be doing with guns and what I think we should be doing with the border and how we should handle health care and abortion and, and same-sex marriage. I have an opinion on all of these things. Um, and some of them, I have opinions in my heart that are contrary to the Bible, and I have to constantly make sure that I am submitting and letting go of myself as I pick up Christ. Um, And so I do want to say that I am not coming at you from politics. I am not coming from the perspective of here are my thoughts. Um, You will see an abnormal amount of Bible verses from me today. And the reason being is because I want to make this perfectly clear. Um, I went to scripture with these hard pressing issues. Um, And I have five points for you today. And something that I want you to pay attention to is this. All five of these points... If I would have preached this sermon a year ago, none of it would have been controversial. I believe all five points I'm gonna say today, if I would have preached this last year, everyone would have said yes and amen. They would have said, preach it, pastor. They would have said, this is perfect. This is good. This is the Bible. We completely agree. And I think now that these truths have been contextualized in our culture, I think we wanna shy away from the truths because we don't wanna have to respond like Jesus would want us to respond. And I wanna say something. Make sure during this message, a conviction I have on my heart, make sure before you're black, you're a Christian. Make sure before you're white, you're a Christian. Make sure before you're conservative, you're a Christian. And make sure before you're a liberal, you're a Christian. Make sure before you have your opinions on white privilege, whether it exists or not, make sure before that you're a privilege. Whatever your opinion is on systemic racism, um, which is what's going on in our country today, or at least that's people's opinion, right? I'm, I'm not here to make hard statement facts. I am here to say just for a moment, put all of that aside and ask myself genuinely, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Um, Because again, like I said, think about when I say these things that might offend you today. I have no intention to, and I, I plan on taking a very serious tone in today's message because the world's falling apart. Cops are being shot in the street, but so are innocent people. Right, and actually, let me rephrase that because that would imply that I don't think cops are innocent people. I do, I don't think cops are bad. I'm not against, I'm not against the police force as a whole. I'm not against um, the opinion of people who have been feeling racially profiled. Uh, that's none of those things. I'm for uh, Jesus, and I think that if you shoot a cop in the street, it's wrong, but I think that if you get to that point and you actually feel like those people are so against you, I think we should talk about it. I think we should navigate these harsh times um, and we shouldn't just be slamming truth down people's throats. We should be listening, we should be talking, we should be praying. Um, A preface I wanna make in this is something I've been saying a lot recently. 
I've had conversations about some of these topics recently. Uh, people contacting me mad that we did the blackout post as a church. Uh, and I won't shy down that we did that because for me, from my perspective, the point of the blackout post was, hey, we hear you and we're listening. And uh, that is the stance of this church, that we hear you and we're listening, regardless of what side you're on. By the way, white conservatives, your opinion on this, we hear you and we're listening. Amen. Uh, but a black liberal, we hear you and we're listening, right? And there are black conservatives and white liberals, right? You know, just as a general statement, we hear you and we're listening. Um, it is not my job to make these harsh statements off of things that I'm ignorant of. It's my job to teach you how would Jesus tell you to navigate these harsh times. I'm a pastor, not a politician. Um, and um, I have found through my conversations over these last few weeks that I won't please anyone during this talk because I think both sides of this war we're seeing, um, I think both sides are carrying radical issues that are not godly. And I think both sides have major points that Christ would agree with. And so as Christians, we need to stop being left or right, and we need to start being for Jesus. Um, we see Jesus in the Bible drop harsh and powerful truths on people. But keep in mind for this context while we talk, uh, before he dropped those truths, he was usually praying, healing, talking, and teaching for hours, days, and sometimes even weeks with these group of people, right? And so what I would say was, if you want to come and shout your truths, make sure the people you're shouting your truths to are people that know you care, people that know you're listening, people that hear you speak love, and people that know that you have your attention on them. Um, it's a famous saying I've heard a thousand times and I've taken it to my heart as a pastor, but now I'm saying I think we need to take it to our hearts as Christians. And the statement is this, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Give your statistics on gun violence. Give your statistics on racism. Give your statistics on shootings and, and violence and, and where it's coming from and where it began and why it's there. Give all of your facts and your statistics, but at the end of the day, no one cares about any of that because the problem is everyone thinks no one is hearing them and nobody cares about them. So how can we cross that bridge and be Christians who care for someone even though we disagree with them, who want to stand with them even when we possibly think they're wrong because we want to look people in the eyes and love them. If you want to be in a position to tell people the harsh truth, be in the position where they know you care because you've listened and you've talked. All of that to say, I'm going to pray and I'm going to read a lot of verses today. Please do not be bored by scripture. If you're bored by scripture, this is a problem. Um, and I will say one more thing. Usually when I preach sermons like this, my sermons are too Everyone. I try to preach every Sunday so that Boulevard Church and the Christians there get a lesson, but that anyone who might not know Jesus that wanders in, they have a chance to hear the gospel. And I do want to say that I will be presenting the gospel today, but predominantly my goal today is to talk to Christians. I am asking, how should Christians navigate this time? Um, if you're not a Christian and you're listening, then I would like you to hear the heart of a pastor who believes that this is the heart of Jesus, that Jesus cares about you. Um, if you are a cop who does not know Jesus right now, Jesus loves you, he cares about you, and he would not condone violence done against you. Um, if you are a black man, a person of color, a black woman, someone who has a history of oppression in their lives, who feel this way and who feel overlooked, I want you to know that um, regardless of people's opinions, Jesus Christ would care and he would listen. And so does the perspective of me as a pastor 
pastor, and it is the culture of our church, is Boulevard Church, that we want to hear your story. We want to pray with you. We want to stand with you. If you need something, please let us know. Amen. Uh, there may be times where you feel that I am being idealistic or overly simplistic. And I have said from the start, the beauty of the gospel is that it is simple. Just because our times are not simple does not mean that Jesus and the answer is complicated with the times. The gospel is still simple. The gospel is idealistic. The gospel is to have peace with all men, which sounds like a fever dream, but it is the will of our God for us as Christians. Uh, so I'm going to pray. And we're going to go. Uh, please share this. Uh, if there was any time to share this, I think now was the time to share this. Um, if you disagree with me at any point, like I said, we're going over to the Q&A. Let me know. I would love to hear your perspective. And if you feel like maybe your perspective isn't one that you should give in a live Q&A in front of a bunch of people, after this, give me a private message. Go to Wesley Henry. It's a picture of a white dude holding up his little thing. He's got glasses. He's a nerdy looking dude. Um, if you're not my friend, add me. Message me. I'll talk with you. We can talk on the phone. This is not the time for people to be up in an ivory tower and pretend like they're too good to talk with people who are in need. Let me know. Uh, let's talk. Let's, let's, let's conversate through this. Let's not assume that one side is more evil than the other, that violence is right under certain circumstances. Let's not pretend these things. And let's just pretend that Jesus loves everyone and we want to speak, communicate, and listen. And so before I keep rambling, dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice. God, I pray you would bless them uh, that you would open up our hearts to hear things that we don't agree with. Um, and God, if it is your word, if it is your truth, and if it is who you are, God, I pray that we would shift our perspective from disagreeing to wholeheartedly agreeing with your word, God. Uh, I pray that we would be Christians before anything. Um, we would be Christians before we have our opinions, and we would be Christians, and that we would be an example of you and your love uh, before we try to prove a point. Uh, God, I pray we would not be people who try to prove any point besides, God, that you are good, that you died for us and you rose again, and that your blood was shed for all. The door is open for anyone, regardless of creed, regardless of race, regardless of history, and regardless of the things that they've done in their lives. Uh, that God, because you are so open to all of us, God, I pray that we would be just as open, Lord. Um, I thank you, God, because you're good. God, I thank you because my wife is beautiful. And I thank you uh, that you're going to help me say these words the, they, the way they need to be said, God. And in Jesus' name I say, amen. I'm going to drink some water. And we are going to get this party started. All right, I'm going to read some two verses. And by two verses, I mean two sections of verses. Both of them are a little long, but I believe they're radically important. So I'm going to read them to you. Um, these are going to kind of be my overarching verses that kind of cover everything I'm talking about today. Uh, first is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 to 25. If you have your Bibles, please flip there. If you don't, uh, my girl Amelia, because Christina had surgery, so we love you, Christina. We're praying for you. God bless Christina. I hope she's feeling good. And if she's not, I pray that she feels good now in Jesus' name. Um, but Amelia is going to bring a Bible for you to look at. Uh, it's going to be a really pretty Bible with lots of beautiful words in them that are going to be really relevant to what we're talking about today. So uh, without further ado, again, First Peter. Chapter 2, verses 13 to 25. And usually right about now, this is when people always look to me and go, oh, what was the name of the sermon again? Uh, so the name of the sermon is Navigating the Times. <laughs> uh, you're welcome, Cody. Um, in our series, Heart for the House. Uh, so First Peter, chapter 2, 
verse 13 and 25 says this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution that will not preach, but it's the Bible. Uh, whether it is to be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Uh, so really quick, I just want to cover something that I think is so beautiful. Uh, right here, Paul is saying, uh, Peter is saying, sorry, it's, just, it's usually Paul, right? Um, Peter is saying to honor your governors. He's saying honor the government over you. He's saying respect it. But then he's also saying, um, uh, sorry, I just read it and I want to make sure um, that we don't use this freedom to cover up for evil, but that we be servants of God. And so what I think is so interesting about the times we're in, the perspective of people in pain is that the government is doing things and holding people down. So how can I honor my government while also protecting and not covering up maybe bad things that have happened. How can I balance that, right? And we're going to read a few more verses and we're going to keep going and the thought will continue. I think you'll notice a dichotomy in the verses I'm reading. Uh, both of these sections we're about to go over absolutely teach you need to listen to your authority, but they also absolutely teach that you need to be with people that feel oppressed. Um, and again, um, I'm not here to make a statement about whether or not the government is oppressing people. I'm here to say that people Regardless, they feel oppressed. So how can I comfort them, love them, and help them find a freedom while also honoring the government? And if you hear and you do believe the government has done wrong, then the question is doubly important on you. How do I honor this government that has done oppression while also still standing up for the rights of the broken and the hurting? See, when Peter was writing, he was writing, as a, as a Christian, underneath Roman rule. Do you know what Roman rule did? They oppressed their people by violent force. They overtook the country and the people without their permission, without their approval. They subjugated them, and they treated them as lesser citizens. So when, keep in mind that while Peter's writing this, he's writing this from the perspective of a person being oppressed by a government, but still saying we have to respect them. How do we balance it? Let's keep reading. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also the unjust. Um, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Christians, our government allows peaceful protest. Peaceful protest is the answer. Christians, if you are endorsing the riots, it is legal, it is, it is illegal, it is sinful, it is unjust. The dichotomy is appearing. The, the times we're in become, if I would have said any other time, to make sure you're peaceful above all else. Yes and amen. Now under this context is, well, you got to understand, brother. It's like, no, we're Christians first. Um, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious 
thing in the sight of God. That's hard to preach right now. But it is the word of God. It is the will of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Um, That section really supports one perspective and opinion. And I'm going to read the next section of scripture for the next perspective and opinion. Uh, But I want you to know that Basically, what Peter is saying, when you're being oppressed, when you're being beaten down, when you're being mistreated, um, basically what he's saying is, still even then, it's good and gracious that we be Christ-like. It's good and gracious that we don't respond to violence with violence. That even, again, if you're doing good and you get beat for it, it's gracious in the sight of God. Um, God will handle the situation. Trust him. Don't take revenge or violence into your own hands. Trust him. On the exact same flip side, I want to read to you Romans chapter 12, verse 9 to 21. Again, I know it sounds like a lot, but these are actually really short sentences. So it's actually shorter than the last thing I read. Um, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Associate with the lowly. Listen, there is predominantly, a, there is one skin color in particular that feels oppressed in, genu- in general. Have you sat down and chatted with them and heard their perspective? And by the way, if you're one of those people, have people sat down and heard your perspective? Um, if you're a Christian and you're in that group, um, you're going to have to go to them and hear their perspective on why you're wrong. Um, But on the same note, I know my church. I know our demographic. I know that there's a lot of white Christians in the church. And I'm asking, have we gone to the protests and have we asked people their perspective? Have we associated with these people? Have we wept with them as they wept? Or have we sat in our homes and said, well, see, they just don't know the truth. Well, see, the media is just brainwashing them. Well, see, I just don't believe what they're saying is right. Go hear their stories. Go hear their perspectives. Go associate with them and don't talk about them, right? And so the perspective's being shifted now. Yes, listen to the government. Yes, these riots, they're wrong. Yes, they are, but have you listened to the rioters? Have you spoken with them face to face? Have you even tried? Because if you haven't, your perspective, genuinely and biblically, it doesn't mean a lot. Because if you're not associating with them, you are not being Christ-like in this situation. Um, And I know I'm coming on a bit strong. So hear me again. Uh, I love this church. 
I love these people, um, but I am heartbroken overseeing pain on both sides. I am heartbroken about the conversations I've had. I'm heartbroken about the self-righteousness I've experienced in so many Christians. Christians thinking that this certain circumstance lets them act differently in their faith. Christians who think their legal rights are more important than the hurts of the people and the suffering they're experiencing. Um, it doesn't make sense to me to see Christians post their opinions who haven't even gone and had conversations. Um, it is just distinctly not Christ who was consistently found with the tax collectors, who was consistently found with the people in sin, who was consistently found with the people that even he believed were wrong and sinful, but he heard their stories and he was with them and he was praying with them. And that is the change we need to really see. Um, and, and again, so... Um, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly and ready. Never be wise in your own sight. If you just think you are right and people are wrong, you're right in your own sight. Go talk. Because you know what I found through my conversations? I don't know anyone who's totally right. It seems that no one's willing to hear the whole side of the story. It seems that just maybe everyone's hands in the cookie jar right now and everyone's trying to blame everyone else for the crumbs. It seems that maybe if we could be idealistic and be peaceful and sit and have conversations, that I think we'd see a genuine change. Um, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I think when we riot, and we tear down stores, we think we're in the right to do it because we think we deserve to give vengeance to others. But we're not supposed to walk in revenge as Christians. On the same note, I'm not gonna give leeway to this. Um, I've seen too many videos. Cops are too quick to pull the trigger. Um, they're rubber bullets, I know, but they're too quick to pull it. I've seen times where it seemed like things are coming out of nowhere. And I've heard constantly, well, if you hear their perspective, well, if you hear their perspective, like everyone's, pers the rioters have a perspective. Have you gone and heard their perspective, right? I I'm sure the person defending the cop won't hear the rioters perspective and the rioter or who supports the rioters won't hear the cop's perspective. But here's the truth, quit avenging yourselves. Um, I know that it's easy for me to say, sitting on a bench in the living room of my home with a camera in my face, maybe with my own skin tone, maybe with my perspective, and maybe I'm not out there right now. I've been sick and I've been out of town, and between those two things, I wasn't able to set my foot down. Um, so I made phone calls, and I had conversations, and like I said, I, I feel like there's no right answer in the sense of what should we do in the world right now. There are some good moves we should make, but there's no solid right answer. But from Jesus, there is a right answer. It's just not a popular one. And it's one that, again, we'll have to lay down our own lives to pick up the answer. Um, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Um, my five points in today's sermon that I, I do intend on running through quickly 
Um, but it is genuinely my intention. Uh, again, I have five points. Uh, three of them are the issues I see in Christianity right now in relation to what's going on. And then the last two points are the answers I see in Christianity in relation to what is going on. Um, I think you will disagree with me on many points, but I pray you would just listen, um, that maybe we'd be teachable. Um, and I pray that I'd be teachable too. Um, I will tell you honestly, my perspective has radically shifted in two weeks through the conversations I've had with people's experiences. I stopped looking at statistics and I started just talking to people and my perspective suddenly changed. Um, and people are more important than statistics. Um, we shouldn't ignore statistics, that's not what I'm saying. Um, but I'm saying that people are more important. And you'd be surprised the stories that have happened in our own church. You'd be surprised at the experiences of some pastors we have in our church, of some people who you sit next to and we text and we're in small groups with. You would be genuinely surprised what they have felt, what they have hurt, how they've been broken. And, um, and so I want to talk about the three issues that I've seen. Issue number one is silence. Here is a saying that I've heard a thousand times and I want to put it to rest right now. Again, you might disagree with me um, and that's absolutely okay, but I'm going to give a Bible verse and it's the, the church has been too silent and when a pastor begins to speak on things, here's what I'll hear. You're a pastor. You shouldn't be talking about these things. Incorrect. Absolutely wrong. A pastor's job is to disciple and what is more important? What is going on in culture right now? This is what I have to disciple people through. What sh how do we as leaders navigate what's going on? We have to address what's going on and point people to Jesus in the midst of it. If there was ever a time to shout, it's now. And honestly, as these things begin to die down, we shouldn't stop shouting. The church shouldn't be quiet. Silence is no longer a luxury that Christians should walk in. Hey, why haven't you said anything about this? Well, you know, I'm just trying not to post my opinion out there right now. Silence, the silence is deafening. Um, and Proverbs 31, verse 8 to 9, is one of about 30 verses I could have used. And I'm not exaggerating. I literally had a list. I accidentally erased it, uh, which is fantastic because usually I have those lists on my computer. So I have to refine all these verses again. Um, but Proverbs 31, verse 8 to 9 says this Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of those who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Um, this is in relation to kings. In Proverbs, this is saying, hey, as the king, do this. Jesus comes and says that you are kings and priests. We are a kingdom of priests. So now that we spiritually have the same responsibility, it is now on us to open our mouth for the people whose mouths are being silenced. I think the church has spent too long not talking. I think it's because we're afraid to end up on a page. We're afraid to get taken out of context. We're afraid to get mistreated. But honestly, mostly, I think most of us are afraid that people won't like us. Most of us are afraid that our churches might shrink or that people will start to hate Jesus because we preach his truth. Listen, if someone hates Jesus because of the truth, the Bible promises that's going to happen. But what the Bible doesn't promise is that we should be quiet. Actually, Jesus says that our lamps should shine bright in the night. This world is in darkness right now and it needs light and the light is in the truth of the message. And the message is if you're in need, if you're broken, if you feel overlooked or underappreciated, I'm gonna speak up for you because my voice will be louder than the voice of those oppressing you. Again, take that however you want and apply it to any culture um, of politics you have. But at the end of the day, it's time 
to speak. Before we speak, we need to listen. But once we've listened, we are obligated to speak. Um, before we speak, we need to listen. But once we've listened, we are obligated to speak. Christians, silence isn't going to cut it anymore. Um, I would say this in relation to just preaching the good news. I would speak this in relation to when you see people being mistreated. I would see this in relation to both things. Listen to me. Um, when George Floyd was killed, I made a post saying it was murder. And I actually stand by that. Um, all these autopsies have come back and, oh, there was cocaine in it. There was this in his system. He had a history of this, this, and this. None of those things equaled a knee on his neck for nine minutes. Sorry, I am unconvinced in the matter. None of those things equaled that. And so I used my voice and spoke that, right? Um, when the riots began, I began to say, hey, the violence of the riots is wrong. Because I'm going to use my voice and I'm going to say that. Here's what happened. The people that celebrated my George Floyd post condemned my post on the riots. And the people that condemned my George Floyd post and have been trying to call me and say, you just don't all have all the facts. Again, someone's dead. Call it racism or call it uh, police brutality. Something happened, right? Um, but then they're applauding the riot thing. And here's what I'll tell you genuinely. I think Jesus would be appalled by both. And I think that if we're not appalled by both, we're at a problem here. Um, but on the same note, I think Jesus would be appalled by some of the police brutality we've seen in response to the riots. I don't think Jesus taught us to meet violence with violence, regardless of your opinion on your rights for your gun. I think you can have a gun, right? I've said it a thousand times. I tend to lean a bit more right, full disclosure. Have your guns. I'm all about it. But I think Christians are far too willing to pull the trigger. They're far too quick to look for their right to pull that trigger. And... Um, that's just not our God. It's not what he's taught us. But he also never taught us to be silent. Christianity has been a lot of things throughout history. There has been moments where Christianity or the Catholics have oppressed people. And there have been times where Christianity has caused major change. But Christianity has been loud. It has been culture-shaking. It has moved and radically altered the climate of what's going on. But what Christianity has never been is silent. Jesus has never been Silent, And the only time he was being silent is when he was being accused so that he could be set up to get killed for our sins. The sins of the cops who have been pulling triggers too quickly and the sins for rioters who have been breaking in windows and robbing people. Also the sins of the people who have been killing each other in the streets. Because some of these riots have turned into violence against rioters right and jesus died for all of this and so we can't be silent anymore that when we see an issue i think mlk said that riots are the sound of the people who have been silenced right and so whether you agree with the riots or not i still think we should listen to the perspective of the rioters i have called cops i have called pro rioters and i have called people in the middle on various forms and it has helped me build a proper biblical perspective um and it's why I think we need to speak. Uh, issue two I see in, in, in Christianity, and again, you can disagree with it, but I, I do have like a zinger at the end of this. Thing two is racism. Um, I think we've allowed racism for far too long. Um, you can say what happened wasn't racist, and honestly, it might not have been. I mean, it seemed like George Floyd and the dude had history with each other, and so it might not have been racism. It might have been these guys hated each other, and there seemed to be beef there. Maybe. Um, and... Again, I'm not trying to give a lot of excuses for any side. Um, I'm just saying that I think we've allowed it for too long. 
Um, I think it's been too often where if I ask a black brother in Christ if they feel that their white brothers in Christ have listened to their story, genuinely, most people have said, no, they haven't. They've been unwilling to. Or, you know what, I feel like they get mad when I talk about it, so I just don't talk about it. That's been their perspective, that they can't talk about it. Um, I will say two stories. One is the story of the Good Samaritan. I think we've all heard it before, uh, where Jesus, they ask him how many times he needs to forgive. And so Jesus said, there's a man on the road. He's been beat up. He's been robbed. A priest comes by, and the priest goes to the other side of the road to avoid him. A Levite walks by, goes to the other side of the road and avoids him. And then a Samaritan... Right, and the reason why he said Samaritan was because it's a different race. It was specifically using the group that they say, hey, these are the bad, this is the bad race. Um, went and helped him. And Jesus said what was more important was not about who your neighbor is, but who are you being neighborly to. Jesus' response, the point of the Good Samaritan story was, everyone's on equal ground. We should be neighborly to everyone. And But here's the thing, he used race as an example because race was still a shocking thing, right? Um, then on the next moment, Jesus goes and he goes and he meets a woman at a well and he talks with her and has a conversation with her. And, and she says to him, how could a Jew ask to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? You're Jewish. Why would you ask to drink with me? And later she says, the Jews have no dealings with us. Jesus specifically went to a group of people that were because of their race rejected. And he sat with that person and leveled the playing field. That's what Jesus does. Now, I will submit this point to you, definitely in our church, uh, but I think generally, I think as a general statement, I think most people are against racism. I think most people don't agree with racism. I think everything I'm saying, most people listening right now will be like, yeah, yeah, I agree. I just don't think what's happening is racist, right? That would be the opinion. And here's what I would say. I want to go to Romans chapter 1, verses 29 to 32. And it says this, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strite, strife, strite, was that? Strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, uh, right? Titus, don't be disobedient. Um, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice. And so here's what I would say. God doesn't just see our actions as sin. He sees our approval of things as a sin. This takes us right back to silence. If there are people in your life that feel looked over because of the color of their skin, and you don't even begin to speak to them or conversate with them, I think in their life, you are giving an approval to racism. You are giving them that perspective. Talk, communicate, hear people. Go outside of your group. Look, all of my um, conservative friends, Ben Shapiro's awesome, listen to someone else, right? I'm not saying don't listen to Ben Shapiro. I listen to Ben Shapiro. I, I like his perspectives on a lot of things. That might offend some of you. I like his opinion on a lot of things. Um, but if you're only listening to him and people in his group, you are missing so much of the story. You don't even understand people's perspective because you probably only know that group's perspective based off of his analytics of their perspective, right? Uh, Bo Burnham, he's a comedian, and he brought up politics one time in his... In his um, 
his stand-up, and he said, no, I'm just kidding, I don't want to talk about politics. I only have an opinion on someone else's opinion on politics. And I think that's the truth for most of us. I think we only have an opinion on other people's opinions on politics because we haven't really heard the other side, talked with the other side, sat down, had a cup of coffee with the other side, and really listened to their perspective. Um, on the same note, uh, again, I'm not very left, um, and so I don't actually know a lot of uh, big names on the left side, so I, I can't say don't listen to them and give Ben Shapiro a shot, but try to balance it a little bit. Here's some counter perspectives. I do it with theology. I do it with politics. I do it with conversations. I do it with religions um, because I, I like the conversation. It keeps me honest and it keeps me thinking and it keeps me out of an echo chamber. And echo chambers kill and echo chambers create silence. Because I think if anything's going on right now, I think a lot of Christians are looking up and saying, I didn't even realize there was a problem. And then suddenly everything just blew up. We've been silent, so we haven't heard the conversations. We haven't listened. And I think some of us are shocked by what's going on, but people have been doing this forever. I see people shouting, hey, uh, these protests, why aren't we doing more... Um why aren't we doing more peaceful protests? And it's like, well, in the last five years, there have been eight major peaceful protests, major peaceful protests uh, by major celebrities and really no one gave any attention to it. And the last major one, Colin Kaepernick, which again, your opinion of him, I'm not a huge fan of the guy. Personally, again, pastors can't say that. I'm not a huge fan of his ideals a lot of times, um, but he did say the next step was this, right? And I feel like people didn't really give him an ear or take the time to hear his thoughts. Uh, we just said like, uh, he, he said something I disagree with, I'm done. And the reason why I think that is because I did that, <laughs> right? I never actually sat and listened to an entire talk of his. Um, I never actually heard his perspective on why he was even kneeling. I just heard, oh, he knelt during the national anthem uh, because he's black, what, what a problem. And then just like looked away and then I began to hear his side of things. And I don't agree with all of it, um, but it suddenly gave me perspective on thoughts I wouldn't have thought otherwise. Because everyone in my life, we had an echo chamber of just, oh, no, he's dumb. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. He hasn't experienced anything. Um, and again, I, I think I'm touching a little too close to politics. I'm going to pull out because it's not my intention. Uh, the third thing I'm seeing is violence. Um, Christians, I've said this a lot, Christians are weirdly and radically okay with violence provided it's supporting what they believe. Um, I want to tell you, violence is not godly. Violence, even in self-defense, isn't a Christian belief. Um, we don't believe in violence. We don't believe violence is the answer. I think a great life to look at is MLK, uh, Martin Luther King. And um, I know towards the end of his life, he had issues and he wasn't a perfect Christian by any means, but um, to write off his entire movement because of that would be ridiculous. And he had peaceful protests. And the reason why from his own mouth in many of his speeches, he would say he was peaceful because he was Christian. He would say that there were times I see that he wanted to be violent, but because of his Jesus convictions, he stood with peace. Um, and then you look at people like Malcolm X, who at the end of their life came out and said, no, we have to stop being violent. Uh, you look at people like Gandhi, who had major revolutions through, viol uh, through peace in their country. When people asked him about his peaceful ways, he actually pointed to the Bible. He was a Hindu, and he said that the Bible's teachings on peace was something that radically impacted him and affected how he carried himself in a lot of ways. And what I'm saying is anyone who reads the Bible who doesn't have context of their own personal opinions, they will come to the op op opinion that Jesus Christ was against violence. Uh, Psalm chapter 11, verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. You hear that? The Lord tests the righteous, 
but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Can I shake your theology for a moment? It doesn't say he hates the violence. It said he hates the one who loves violence. Pray on that. Think about that. And maybe change your theology a little bit on God's wrath and how he deals with hatred sometimes. Um, but we're not called to be violence. Uh, and I want to take a... We're not called to be violence. Great. We're not called to be violent. Um, and so regardless of what side of the equation you're on, uh, there is a lot of violence. Um, everything going on in our country right now, there is a lot of violence on both sides. Some of it is justified from a legal sense. Some of it is not. Uh, some of it is... And I feel like instead of people saying, um, oh, yeah, this was violent, it was wrong, like, oh, well, give me the whole context, right? And then people argue context for a thousand years. No, we're Christians. We don't agree with violence. Um, so the three kind of big things I hear, I'll hear people when dealing with um, violence, they'll say, well, Jesus said he came to bring not peace but a sword. Okay, so in the context of that, Jesus is dealing with the fact that the gospel creates divisions in the home. And so when he said, I'm bringing a sword, he's saying, because I'm going to cut and, and separate the tie between you and your family um, because of the gospel. Right? That's the context of that. Don't use that to use violence as your excuse. The next thing people say is, oh, Jesus was flipping tables, so we're allowed to riot uh, because Jesus flipped tables, and now we're flipping tables in society. Um, when Jesus flipped tables, it was his legal right um, as a teacher um, because they were bringing breaking the law in the building, right? And so um, it doesn't apply even remotely. And even if it did, it's his own house because he's God. And uh, none of us here are Jesus. But even if uh, we were allowed to do exactly what Jesus did, even the things he did that he did just because he was God, this still wouldn't apply because he was actually following the law, which would tell him to clean out the temple, right? So it doesn't apply to the situation. Um, then people point out that when Jesus, towards the end of his life, he was saying, um, well, uh, make sure you, I told you before to bring nothing, but now I'm telling you, buy a cloak, buy a knapsack, and bring a sword, right? And then people say to Jesus, they go, oh, we have two swords. And Jesus looks at the situation and goes, that's enough, right? And so two verses later, the next section of scripture, Peter pulls out a sword and cuts a dude's ear off. And Jesus heals the ear and tells Peter, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. And he rebukes Peter for using the sword that just two or three verses later, he told Peter to have, right? Well, this doesn't make sense. This is confusing. Listen, Jesus was talking about evangelizing and overcoming the world, right? So when he was saying bring a sword, I believe that he was teaching about spiritual warfare and the fact that we're going to have to go to battle in this prayerful, worshipful, evangelistic sense. And the proof is the writer of the book put the fact that he said bring a sword three to four verses later. He put Jesus saying, Peter, don't use your sword. It seems like a contradiction until you realize you put them together on purpose to give you a proper perspective. We don't use swords. We don't use violence. If you want to be violent, you will die by violence. And by the way, those who live by the sword, die by the sword, is a statement about low-key. There's some statements about the law of God. Um, Christians aren't violent. And if you want to live by violence, you'll die by violence. Um, and if you want to support violence, violence will come your way. It's just a principle of the gospel. Um, and then lastly, when John, when Peter, Jesus, right? I'll get through all the names. My grandma used to do that to me. She'd be like, and she'd say like eight names, like every name in the house except mine, and then finally call my name. It was great. Um, Jesus is in a village, and he's preaching, and the villagers reject him. And as they walk out of the village, 
John looks to Jesus and he says, should we call down fire on everyone in the village? Women, children, men, people who didn't even hear Jesus' message, right? Well, can we, should we just kill them all? And Jesus' response to them is this, and it's simple. He says, you don't know what spirit you're of. Christians who condone violence. I would say, with all respect, you don't know what spirit you're of. Deep down, there's a misunderstanding about the peace of our God. We are to be peacemakers. The Bible says, if possible, have peace with all men. We have to be at peace. It's our call, and regardless of how upset that makes us, our call is peace. And so again, the three issues I see is the church is silent, the church allows racism, and the church allows violence. Um, We're too quick to defend the violent, and I don't know why. But also, we're too quick that if the violence is far away from us, to not really acknowledge it and be like, oh, that's their problem. The church isn't silent. The church speaks, and we are against violence. What are the answers, right? We talked for a long time. This has been a long talk. This has been an uncomfortable talk. I'm sure that people have left, and when I, now that I'm getting to the answers, people are offended and haven't even heard me. I'm sure I'm getting some strongly worded messages right now. I'm sure there is some levels of offense happening. Um, I'm sure people are debating, should I leave the church right now and go find a different church? That let, right? All these things. Um, we have to submit to God first and foremost and put ourselves down. If you remember when I preached on being spirit-led, my first major point was we have to put ourselves down to be spirit-led. Um, and I don't think the spirit would ever lead us to violence. I don't think he'd ever lead us to allowing racism or allowing people who feel a system is built against them to not have a, a shoulder to lean on, a shoulder to cry on, and not have an ear to listen. Um, well, what are the answers? Um, Two answers, I would say, um, and they're really, again, these things, nothing I said so far is confrontational, nothing I said is controversial, and yet because of our specific climate, it feels controversial, right? But it's not, because it's the same thing I would have preached last year, because our opinions on these major doctrines haven't changed. It's just uncomfortable now that we have to apply it to a certain circumstance, and realizing that these truths that we have believed to be true this whole time, now they're making our lives not as easy, uh, now they're making things uncomfortable, and so it's easier to turn away from the truth, or twist the truth around to have what you want, rather than to have to speak up and come against things that maybe up until recently you didn't even believe was an issue. Um, but two things. First thing is holding the Bible first, right? I've been saying it this entire time, right? Jesus and his word is more important than our politics, is more important than our, our heck, it's more important than your denomination, right? Uh, we're a non-denominational church, but many of us have denominational histories, and so we have theological leanings because of our denominations, like your, your view on politics, your view on friendship, your view on the world, your view on whether Christians can smoke weed, whether uh, Christians can have sex before marriage, um, uh, racism, and the government, and your gun, and all of your opinions on these things, they shouldn't matter because I have so many strong opinions to put them down and go to God be led by the Spirit and you'll know and I think you'll be led by the Spirit that something is seriously wrong here and the church needs to start speaking about it holding your Bible first I want to read a verse to you James 1 chapter 22 to 27 but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at, once, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he is blessed 
in his doing. That could be complicated. What is he saying? He's saying that people who follow the Bible are blessed in all that they're doing. So we go back and he's saying that if you know what to do, if you know what the Bible teaches and you get up and walk away and do something else, and don't forget that that includes Romans, which says not just by doing something wrong, but by allowing things to be wrong around you. Um, these things are sins and what the Bible says is that you walk away and forget who you are. What does that mean? That's an identity issue. You're not identifying yourself by the word of God, so therefore you're not de defining yourself by God. So what are you defining yourself by? Probably your politics, probably your job, probably your skin color, probably um, your parents, probably your testimony and your hurts and your struggle. So many Christians don't realize that the, how they're responding, how we are responding to what's going on in culture isn't based on the Bible, but it's based on the thing we've identified ourselves as instead of the Bible. We're responding as Republicans, not as Christians. We're responding as Democrats, not as Christians. We can't respond as liberals or conservatives. We have to respond as Christians. What does the Bible teach? Because if you respond by anything besides Jesus, then you forget who you are. You have no identity. You have an identity issue, and you're responding out of your real identity. And this is a great moment to put your finger on your pulse and say to yourself, what do I, what do I identify myself by? What do I need to lay down? Is it my politics? Is it my job? Is it the future I want for myself or the person I want to be with? Or is it the word of God? Is it the spirit alive in me? As long as we define ourselves by things other than God, we will always have identity issues. And people who say, I don't feel like a child of God, I would say, then what do you feel like? How do you identify yourself? I don't feel like God loves me. That's an identity issue. So how are you defining yourself then? Look, and, and again, I, I've, I think maybe I've come a little stronger on a white conservative. So I would say that um, for some of Christians, p people of color with histories of being mistreated, um, you identify yourself as that. And so you don't feel like God loves you because you're still too busy identifying yourself as a person a system is against. One of the greatest things Jesus gave us the three greatest doctrines of Christianity is faith, hope, and love. We can't be hopeless. Let's say, let me play just worst case scenario here and say there is an entire system against you. People who have hope in God would not let that affect their day to day. And I, I want to tell you that I'm not saying what you're going through, what you've experienced, and what you felt is wrong. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I am saying that I want to welcome you into a superior way of viewing the world, where there are people who will stand with you, where there is a church that will stand by you, that you don't need to be alone anymore. And listen, we're going to disagree. We're going to butt heads. You're going to hate some people in the church because of their political views, and that's because we are all a work in pro uh, project. We're all a work in process. But it's time to come be somewhere where you'll be loved, where you'll be allowed to fail, and where there'll be safety nets to take care of you. It's time to have hope. It's time to put the Bible first. Church, this is a message on having a heart for the house. And we are going to be a church that puts God before riots, that puts God before police violence, that puts God before politics, that puts God before race. Uh, but we are going to celebrate 
all of those things and we're going to listen to people that we disagree with and we're going to be educated because we don't want to be people who assume we're right remember in romans we don't want to be self-righteous but we want to be friends to the lowly and those in need and the last thing and by the way this is the most important thing uh the most important thing i can say it is very early because i'm not supposed to be preaching about it yet but we're going to talk about this uh the number one answer to everything going on in this world right now and i, I mean this with no exaggeration is evangelism matthew chapter 28 verse 18 to 20 and jesus came and said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all, observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Evangelism is not telling people about Jesus. Evangelism is making disciples and teaching them to observe the law of God. So let me ask you something. There were riots in this city. I think by the time of this filming, three people have died in the city during the riots and the shootings um, in response to what's going on. Um, there are four mega churches in this county, that means uh, in, in the Las Vegas Henderson area, that means 1,000 to 2,000 Christians per building. So eight, six to 8,000 people um, in just four church buildings alone. And then not to mention all the smaller churches and all the smaller Christians. And so I think a small, a very pulled back estimate um, is 10,000. There are probably 10,000 Christians in the Las Vegas Henderson area. What do you think the riots would have looked like if there were 10,000 Christians down there praying for people? What do you think the shootings would have looked like if there were 10,000 Christians with their feet on the ground, feeding, holding, hugging, praying for people? Do you think as many bricks would have been thrown? Do you think as many rubber bullets would have been shot? Here is the absolute truth. God holds us responsible for what is going on in this city. Man, I didn't want to cry. Um, he holds us responsible for this. We are the church, and these are the people he's died for. And we're sitting in our buildings with our masks on and saying, oh, man, look at them. Look, look at the thugs out there. And again, I'm not trying to be political. Um, and, and yay, the cops need to pull the trigger. And, and the, but, but on the same note, oh, look at these cops out there. I'm glad they got shot. I'm glad that someone died. I'm glad that something happened, right? I'm seeing those posts from Christians, too. What are we doing? Who are we? What is going on here? These people need Jesus. And we're sitting here thumbing our noses at them. What do you think God is more offended at? I think he's more offended at the Christians that weren't there when the cop got shot. I think he's more offended at the Christians that weren't there when the buildings were being broken into. I think God is most offended with that. That's on us. That's our responsibility. Our city is being torn apart. And there was a message that was preached at Hope City um, in Mississippi, I believe, Oklahoma. And he preached the series and he said this, my city, my responsibility. The message of Boulevard Church is we are on your street and we are in your city and we were not there. We were not there. I was out of town. I was sick. I wasn't there. And I felt guilt about that. It eats me up because this is our job. Dang it, I didn't want to cry. Oh, I'll pull back together. Regardless of your opinion on everything else that I said up to this point, you know it's true. It's on us. We gotta make some change. We gotta do some things. We can't be silent anymore. We can't let people feel overlooked anymore. We can't allow violence anymore. We can't hold our politics before our religion. And we have to be out there with the people. I wanna ask you a question. If cops were being discipled, would they pull triggers as quickly? If politicians were being discipled, would they look out for themselves or would they look out for the needs of the people? 
And again, Pastor Wes, you're being really idealistic. Prove me wrong, then go out and evangelize to the world and let's still see there being issues. I don't think there will be. Would the riots have happened if the people who rioted were being discipled by Christians? No, they would not have been. It's time for us to make a change. The responsibilities on us as a church. Our city is being looted. It's being attacked. I mean, people are afraid because of martial law might possibly come down on us. It seems like people, things are calming down again. I'm filming this not on Sunday. Usually I'm not supposed to talk about that, but just in case things change, I don't want to come off as like a little ignorant here. Um, but where I'm at and where I'm sitting and while we're filming, things are not okay. Things are not right. And the church is watching. Um, to my knowledge, only two members of our church have gone down and prayed with people during this time. Um, so if I am wrong, forgive me. But William Perry and Dalen... Um, I don't know your last name. I am so proud of you guys. You are an example, and I want to be more like both of you when I grow up. Um, but church, it's time for a change. Again, just to sum summarize everything, um, we can't be silent. It's time to speak for those who are broken. We can't allow racism. Um, I don't think there is racism. Cool. Then go out to the people who think there are racism and love on them so you can prove them wrong. Um, we have to stop the violence. Well, I'm not for violence. Well, you're definitely not stopping the violence. And the church needs to go do things. The Colosseums in Rome where people were being thrown in and murdered, do you know why those stopped? Because Christians protested. The Colosseum was ended by Christianity. So why can't this violence be ended by Christianity? I don't know why I'm showing you that you can't even see it. The church needs to put the Bible first before their opinions. And guys, man, we got to be there, out there with them. I'm not comfortable sitting here anymore and hearing about something in my city that I wasn't a part of. I don't think we have that luxury anymore, luxury anymore as a church. And guys, I won't give Boulevard Church that luxury. Oh, I love you guys. I am praying for you guys. I pray you heard my heart. Um... I pray that as a church, we'd be more willing to be educated. We'd be more willing to be wrong. We'd be more willing to hear the people in need. Um, and we'd be more willing to actually be the hands and feet of Jesus. Guys, I pray this would set a fire in your heart. It set one on mine. I pray that we would stop looking at bad situations and, again, giving a judgmental glance or a judgmental thought rather than going out and being an answer to these things. It's just time for a change. I love you. I pray for every person in the sound of my voice. God, I pray you bless them. I pray you bless us. I pray that our hearts would change. That we'd be led by your spirit first and foremost. That God, we would have a heart for the city that you've given us. And that we would boldly carry this message. My city. My responsibility. I pray for a drop in crime rates because of Boulevard Church. I pray for a drop in brutality because of Boulevard Church and the way we're carrying this message. I pray for a drop in homelessness, a drop in hunger, a drop in abuse, a drop in suicides. I pray for all of these things in response to a church carrying your message, God. I pray rather than being offended, we would grow and change. And in Jesus' name I say amen. Church, I love you. I'm going to jump on and go live in a second. I'm a little nervous because uh, I hate arguing and I hate confrontation. Um, I, this, I will tell you, this is the first time in my life I was not excited to preach a sermon. Um, but again, it, we can't be silent. And we can't be white, black, Asian, or Indian. We have to be Christians.